0: Welcome to the Spiritual Advantage Podcast, where we discuss how to make a maximum impact with our lives by fulfilling our divine dreams with divine favor, like the great men and women of faith throughout history. I'm Sam Stone, the Light Keeper. You are the light of the world, and I am the keeper. No pun intended. Let's begin. It's been a month since Russia invaded Ukraine. Over three million refugees have been displaced, many lives lost, and buildings destroyed. There are political, economic, and military actions are being taken to resolve the problem by the experts. As a church, we have also contributed and will continue to contribute to the refugee relief efforts. As Christians in worship on this Sunday, I would like to look at the spiritual aspect of the problem. I would like to quote my favorite Russian author, Leo Tolstoy, who said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Tolstoy was a highly gifted author, known for his war and peace. However, after his conversion to Christianity, the books he wrote were even more impactful He had influenced Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. on their social justice movements. I believe Tolstoy's book, Resurrection, should be read by every Christian. At a time like this, most people are thinking about changing the world or figuring out how to eliminate Putin to stop the atrocity. The more tragedy we see in the news, The more our minds turn toward vengeance, even though his atrocities have not directly affected us. The media is also cheerleading the attitude. The vengeful mindset is not good for our spirit and is against Jesus' teaching. We are in the Lenten season and Lent is the time for us to reflect on ourselves and consider changing ourselves. Before Jesus began to change the world, he changed himself by his 40 days of fasting. You might think it's inconceivable to say that Jesus needed to change himself since he's the son of God. However, don't forget that he is fully human and fully God. Like every one of us, he had to fight his flesh. If you treat him only as God, you will fail to learn from his human examples. How do we know we are in a vengeful mindset or Christ-like attitude? The way you want Putin to go down will determine your spiritual maturity. Today's scripture lesson will challenge our level of grace or our spiritual quotient, SQ, just like IQ and EQ. First, let's consider the context we are in, and then look at it from a spiritual perspective. Just in case you don't know, Putin came into power in 1999. Soon after that, he started an anti-corruption campaign. In 2003, he arrested one of the Russian oligarchs and put him on trial. He put him in a cage in the courtroom during the trial with media cameras in the room, the whole world witnessed a billionaire in a cage. Other Russian billionaires were shocked to see the trial and asked Putin what they should do to avoid that from happening to them. Putin said they must give him half of their wealth, not to the government or to the citizens, but to Putin's personal pocket. So, in the name of anti-corruption, Putin made himself rich. As of today, Putin is worth more than hundred billion billion, one one of the richest people in the world. His invasion of Ukraine is to make himself richer. His concern about NATO is just an excuse for the invasion. Even though small and poor, Ukraine is very rich in natural resources and fertile lands for agriculture. It's a war on greed, as I said previously. He told Chinese President Xi before the invasion that the operation would take less than 24 hours, but now it is over a month. The incompetence of his military forces are understandable since in the past two decades, he focused mainly on making himself rich instead of maintaining the superpower it used to be. Now he has exposed his empty shell superpower. I doubt his nuclear weapons are still working at all. Anyway, according to the art of war, we must not underestimate our enemy. Mikhail Khodorkovsky, the billionaire oligarch that Putin put in the cage, spent a decade in prison, and is now living in London as an exile. He has been interviewed many times these days, and he said, Putin is not suicidal. That means Putin is not likely to use nuclear weapons because he is fighting a war to make him richer. He knows a nuclear war would not make him richer. It would be a suicide campaign. We can summarize all the above by saying Putin is blinded by money. That's why he's fighting a war like a blind man. Putin is different from Hitler in the sense that Hitler was power thirsty, but Putin is money hungry. Now let's search our hearts for a moment. Do you have a heart of vengeance or grace toward this man? It might be unthinkable to talk about grace, seeing three million refugees and thousands of deaths. On the other hand, what do we get from vengeance? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Let's use this challenging reality for us to stretch our spiritual muscles and renew our understanding of what Jesus meant by loving our enemies and how to pray for our enemies. In today's scripture lesson, Jesus has revealed to us what God expects us to do. Let's begin. Hi, in case we haven't met yet, I'm Sam Stone, the light keeper. You are the light of the world and I'm the keeper. No pun intended. It's my calling to help you shine your brightest so that God is glorified in you and you are satisfied in God. Today is the fourth Sunday in Lent. The scripture lesson is from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pots that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's higher hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what was going on? He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed a fat calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your commands. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Luke 15, to 32. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You might be questioning the title of this message, The Prodigal Father and Three Sons. This story is prominently known as the parable of the prodigal son, but some theologians have argued it's not the correct name. The real prodigal in this story is the father himself, who extravagantly expresses his love and grace. It's the greatest story ever told, according to Mark Twain. A reporter once asked Mark Twain, the author of Tom Sawyer, Mr. Twain, people say you are the best storyteller ever lived. What do you have to say about that? Twain replied, no, I'm not the best storyteller ever lived. Then the reporter asked, who would you regard as the greatest storyteller ever lived? He said, it would be Jesus. Really? If so, what is the greatest story ever told? He said, the prodigal son. Even though this story is short and succinct, it's pithy and profound. We can make a movie out of it or even create a Broadway show that could last forever. The musical Les Miserables is loosely based on it in terms of a life transformed by the extravagant grace of the prodigal priest. Mark Twain is right because this story has changed many lives ever since it was told by Jesus 2,000 years ago. It corrects our misconception of what God is like. We often think God is a grumpy old man in the sky or a cosmic killjoy waiting to zap anyone who doesn't obey his commandments. This story shifts our paradigm about God to a loving father full of grace, grace upon grace. Surely the story's focus is not on the son, but on the father. If we focus on the son, we will miss this story's core teaching which is about the extravagant love and grace of the heavenly father. So it's more appropriate to name it the parable of the prodigal father. Then you might ask, where is the third son? The third son is behind the camera telling the story. Each time I read this story, I got something richer out of it. During this reading, I see an unmentioned third son, a model for us to emulate. Then I see the third son is the one telling the story, Jesus himself. Both sons in the stories are imperfect. The third son is who we need to learn from. The younger brother was reckless, but he learned his lesson in the end. The elder brother appears perfect, but he can't stand the younger brother, which makes him unable to rejoice. His self-righteous ego has blinded him from grace. He said, but when the son of yours come back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill a fatty calf for him. Luke 15, 30. Lacking grace, he is in the kingdom, but not of the kingdom. Christianity is about celebration. If you refuse to join the party, it's as good as not belonging to heaven. Jesus has told several parables about those who refuse to join the King's Banquet and those who are present but do not belong. Now let's bring this story to our context. Would you let your foolish brother come home if you were the elder brother? If he did, would you celebrate with your father or would you refuse to join the party? You might say, of course, I'm not that narrow-minded. I'm a good Christian, and I will welcome my lost brother to return home, and even throw him a party myself. It's easier to say when a brother has done nothing more than squandering your father's property with the prostitutes. Now, here is the challenge. What if Putin is that younger brother? I understand it's inconceivable, especially given three million refugees and thousands of victims. He is far more atrocious than devouring the father's property with prostitutes. However, when a profound parable is placed in a more challenging context like this, it reveals its profundity even more. This parable teaches us how do we pray for our enemies. Should we ask God to zap the tyrant to ashes? Should we pray for some special forces to take him down as we did to Osama bin Laden? What's the most Christ-like way to pray or Christ-like deed to do? What end do you want to see? Jesus is telling us through this story that the Father is looking outside of the gate every day, waiting for the son to come home. We might be like the elder brother, never expect the younger brother to come home, but might even wish he died with the prostitutes in the foreign famine. Even though we are not directly affected by Putin's atrocity, our sense of justice makes us think of him with a vengeful mindset. A vindictive attitude comes out of our ego rather than from our true spirit. Our reaction to Putin reveals whether we are more like the elder brother or the storytelling brother, Jesus Christ. I know sometimes taking down a tyrant by force may be necessary to save many lives in this fallen world. You might have read during the Second World War, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrestled with the necessity to assassinate Hitler, and he plotted it. However, before we justify or endorse any drastic action, we must understand the Father's heart. To understand the Father's heart, we must crucify our ego first. There are two ways to crush our ego, as I mentioned last week, by default or by design. The younger brother's ego was crushed by default. He hit bottom when he was about to eat the pig food. Can you imagine a Jew sent to feed the pig? And he was so hungry that he was considering eating the pig food. There was the lowest point of his dignity. Sometimes I wonder if it was the hunger that enlightened him. It is like fasting by default. We all know fasting produces enlightenment, even though his was accidental. The elder brother, on the other hand, was still blinded by his ego, even though he was well behaved. He never had the opportunity to crush his ego by default or by design. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Luke fifteen, thirty-one to thirty two. Jesus represents the third son who crushed his ego by design with his forty days of fasting. The three temptations by Satan tested his resistance against three human ego problems, the desire for power, prestige, and possessions. He passed the tests with flying colors, which we need to emulate. So let's use this season of Lent to tame our ego so that we can understand our Father's heart and pray for others accordingly, including our enemies. The Father's wish is clear. He wants the dead to come alive and the lost to be found. So let's set our ego aside. Knowing the Father's heart, let's pray for the lost to be found and expect the dead to come alive. That's it for today. I hope you find this message illuminating as much as I enjoy receiving it from the head office. Until we meet again, Keep your light shining brighter and broader and harvest the fruit of the profound happiness. Amen. Amen. Bye now. Thank you for listening. If you would like to maximize your life and leadership by unlocking your spiritual advantage, please feel free to direct message me on Twitter at Samuel Stone or visit SamuelStone.com. I'm looking forward to talking with you. See you on the next episode. Bye now.